So here we go. John. Gospel of John. Chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. So Holy Spirit, once again, we ask that you shape us and guide us as, as we've just thought about a few moments ago and prayed upon a few moments ago. We want to grow and we want to be more like you, Jesus Spirit. We ask that you use your word to do just that, to grow us and to shape us and to convict us and to lead us into a stronger relationship with you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. So this crowd has come across the sea to find Jesus. They are remembering what had happened the day before where they had received all this bread. And they were thinking to themselves, well, hey, it'd be a pretty good idea if that could be kind of a regular thing. If we have this, this miracle come, this bread supply, we we would like that. We would really like that. We'd like to see some other miracles, but we'd really like to see this food coming our way more regularly. That's a pretty good thing. If you can be around Jesus and have a regular supply of food, well, why not? Why not try some of that? So they come over to the other side of, of the lake and they're wanting some of the bread that Jesus offers, not the true bread that Jesus offers, but they want the material Bread. And really, the first thing that Jesus does right from the beginning is He rebukes 
that they're seeking him after some kind of material benefit. He rebukes them for the coming to them. In fact, he, he says exactly that. And the crowds were coming in verse 24. They came to Capernaum. They were seeking Jesus. He, he says there in verse 26, I say to you, you are not seeking me because you saw signs. And remember, in the Gospel of John, signs means pointing to God. It's pointing to something greater than the immediate event. Not that you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That's why you want to be satisfied materially with things. You're missing the point here. You're coming for, to me for something other than what I'm offering, what I'm trying to communicate to you, what you're, you're being shown, what you're seeing. And, and remember, what, at this point, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already set this out. John is filling in in a different perspective. But Jesus has been doing a lot of miracles, a lot of ministry. People, He has a great reputation in the area as far as a miracle worker is, is concerned. Uh, when it comes to bending the knee to Jesus as the one and only Son of God, the Messiah, the one and only Messiah ever to come, Jesus, now that's a different story. But they're coming to Him for this uh, material benefit. They, they have this idea that, that being around Jesus would, would kind of make life a little easier. That's what they experienced over across the lake. And then that's what they've seen in some of the healings that he, He's done. Wow, being around Jesus would really make our life a whole lot easier. And Jesus is opposed to that. And that's a problem that's come down through the centuries, even in today. People come to Jesus for a variety of reasons that, that may not be why He came or the reason He wants us to come to Him. They may come with the idea uh, that there'll be material benefit, there'll be material gain by being, uh, being linked to Jesus, being close to Jesus. There'll be some sort of a material satisfaction. Ha! I, I, I better come to Jesus because it will benefit me materially. Now, it may be that someone comes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, confessing their sins and seeing the corruption of their own heart, seeking the forgiveness of God, comes to them, and then there's some material blessing in life. That's, that may happen. Jesus, the Scriptures, don't con condemn having material items in life. But the distinction is coming to Jesus for that. Coming for the wrong reasons. Here we see a rebuke of any idea that anyone would have 2,000 years ago today coming to the Lord Jesus for that material gain, for the, the sole purpose. Not really too interested, not, not too concerned too much about the spiritual side of it, because as we'll see to come, there's, a, there's some demands that Jesus puts out there and the, the crowds fall away. They are not, at that point, following Jesus so closely. That Jesus wants to redirect their attention, wants to redirect our attention to the everlasting spiritual benefit that Jesus offers. He wants to re redirect the attention 
to eternal life. They're missing that point. It's about eternal life. That's Jesus has come, God's Son, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. He's offering eternal life. All of us live eternally, of course. Our soul lives eternally. The question is whether it will be with God or not be with God. Whether it will be in heaven or whether it will be in hell. This, this distinction is laid out in the Scriptures. Jesus is coming that we would have life and have it more abundantly, John 10.10, 10, have it more to the full, and they're missing that. He redirects their attention. We see it continually in John, redirecting attention to the spiritual things. Now they get into this discussion with Jesus about bread. And so Jesus is using the metaphor. They're, 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 they're thinking bread. They had loaves and fishes the day before. But there's something else at work here also with them. Remember, the time of year, the season of the year is Passover season. And so they're in the mind of the, the Jewish folk anyway, perhaps not the Gentiles, but the Jewish folk, or, or those that were close to Judaism, or the Gentile close to, to Judaism, but there would be this remembrance of, ex, of being taken out, rescued from Egypt, and, and remembering bread at that time. There would be some of that that was that part of the context of the cultural, the time of the year. But there's also something else going on as well when they talk about bread. And we'll see that in the book of Exodus, chapter 16. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Exodus, chapter 16, we can see what's operating in the background of what is being spoken of here with, with this bread. And Jesus using that picture of bread. Coming to Exodus, chapter 16, verse 11. Verse 11, and then all, all the way through... 36. It's important that we have this context, so I'll read that section coming out of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, so the second book there in chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then they shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the context of Exodus 16, the people are grumbling about their food situation. Verse 13. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. 
Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. And when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it read worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, when they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the elders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, and Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you to keep my commandments and my laws. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of it and be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. 40 years so in our passage in John, John chapter 6, they want a sign from Jesus. He's just given them a sign. He's fed 5,000 people plus more. But they want a real sign. Jesus fed the crowds for one day. Moses fed the Israelites for 40 years. So they come to Jesus Okay, give us a sign that we should follow you. Who, who are you? What Jesus had done so far was not good enough for them. They wanted another, a grander, something spectacular, more than what...
what he had already done. He had to remind them that it was God who gave the, the manna, the bread. Verse 32, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So, we have that Exodus passage in the background. That being fed, bread, being, being fed is part of that very important history of Israel. God providing bread for these, the, these people to eat, for them to be sustained, for them to be nourished, for them to live, is have bread. And then also, as I say, there's the piece about Passover, going, going to the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread there that they would, would have, the unleavened bread. And Jesus is using these pictures as they come to Him to teach very profound, very profound truth. He, he tells them to not, not work for the food that perishes, verse 27, but for the food that endures to eternal life. The food which endures to eternal life. Which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Some very important words in there. To set His seal. To set a seal on someone is to, to uh, authenticate them. To, to approve of them. To grant authority. Jesus says the, that says the Father has set His seal on the, the Son. The Father has given His authority, has set authority, approved fully, completely of the Son. And most of the scholars think that that reference is to the baptism of Jesus. You may recall and something uh, like a dove descended and then there was this voice. Uh, this, this voice from heaven. This is my son. Well pleased. This is sealed. Some think, think that that was what was referenced here. God has set his seal on Jesus. Notice also, you could read real quickly over it, verse 27. But labor for the food endures to eternal life, which... And the word which, referring to that food, which the Son, the Son of Man, will give to you. So this eternal life that Jesus is talking about is something that the Son gives that cannot be taken that the Son gives. Again, contextually, for uh, a Jew living at that time, Israelite, they would have think they would have been entitled. They were the people of God. Why wouldn't they have eternal life of all people? But here the Son comes. The Son comes to give eternal life. And John, the Apostle, is writing here to make it clear to everyone that eternal life is only given by Jesus. That's why we come to Jesus. Come to me, all you who labor. Come to me. Because He gives the rest. He gives the eternal life. So here He is. Do not work for, for the food that perishes. 
Now it's interesting in verse 24 that we see that word, they were seeking Jesus. They came to Capernaum and, and were seeking Jesus. And then, as I say in verse 26, you're, Jesus says, you're, you're seeking me not because of that you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. There's these words, seeking. Which is an important word, seeking. They're, they're, they're looking for Jesus. But the Apostle Paul has something very interesting to say about the idea of people seeking God. We find that in Romans chapter 3. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And we'll look at verse 9. Romans chapter 3 verse 9. All the way through 18. And here, of course, he's referring to, quoting in part, Psalm 14. The Apostle Paul writing this, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. An interesting diagnosis of the human condition. There's no fear of God before them. No one seeks God. All of this sin, deception, deceit that's described in Romans chapter 3. What we can say is that according to the Apostle Paul, no one seeks to be near God. Near my God to thee. Oh, that's a beautiful song. That's a wonderful song. Except none of us in our natural condition, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, no one seeks to be near God. No matter how much they lie to themselves, none of us seek to do that. Something has to happen, and the Apostle John, Jesus, is going to lay that out in the next few verses that we'll be looking at in the weeks to come. Something must happen because the Scriptures teach us no one, not one person, seeks to come to God to be near God. To be spiritually close to God. They want to come to God for material benefit. Just like coming across the sea to Capernaum for some more bread. Some benefit. None come to Jesus 
to be satisfied spiritually for the eternal life that he gives. No one is urgent about coming into that situation. No one fights to be close to God. No, no one is of that nature, of that mindset, no matter what their religion might teach them. The scriptures say no one does that. But here they are. They're seeking Jesus, but for another reason. They're not interested in change, changing their life. That's what happens when you get near to God, when you get near to Jesus. Something's going to change. <laughs> He's not going to conform to my standard. I'm going to be conforming to His standard. No one naturally is seeking to be corrected. There is no fear of God. And that's the diagnosis today. In Sacramento, in Washington, in this church, in this community, the fear of God. People running around with their policies in schools, with their policies on economics, with their policies on world hunger. The problem is no fear of God. Well, Jesus is going to deal with that. And that's why, as I say, <laughs> we'll soon enough see that not so many want to hang around when those demands come. So he says to pursue this kind of this kind of food. He's talking about eternal life, but he does mention work. Work. Don't work for some kind of food, but work for another. Now, first, we just have to say that the Bible, the Scriptures, Jesus is not opposed to hard work. Laboring in our, in our vocation, laboring in our family, laboring in our homes. Not opposed to that. It's, it's laboring in some other way to be near to God. <laughs> Don't work towards that which will have no eternal benefit at all. Work towards something greater. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in Him. It's an interesting play on words. It, to a work. We don't, we don't think of it like that. And it's not a meritorious work. It's, it's, a, it's a work coming to faith, coming to believe in God, coming to believe in Him who He has sent, believing in Jesus whom He has sent. And all that John has laid out prior to, that Jesus is the supreme God in flesh. All the attributes of deity contained in Jesus. Fully God. Fully human. Believing. But then in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. See, He's using that image of bread. Not, not, not the, the bread of your stomach. 
the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The woman at the well tried to get her head around that too, that living water. <laughs> and these people were not grasping it. She too says, give me some of that water. She wants some of that water. It'd be nice not to go have to go and fill your water jars every day. It'd be nice if that bread not to have to go pursue your, your food every day. Jesus would just give it to you. It won't hang around Jesus. It just shows up miraculously. They're missing it. It's the, it's the bread of life that Jesus is talking about. And there's this believing and coming to Jesus. And, and really, they're almost the same thing. Coming to faith, say faith in Jesus. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, all of whom Jesus is, all of what, what the Scriptures teach about Jesus. Coming to believe that He is the, the Anointed One, the power, the, the One who is in oneness with God. And then coming to Him. There's a slight distinction. We'd have to know who it is that we're coming to to genuinely come to someone. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes will not hunger. Whoever believes will never thirst. Sometimes we talk about faith and, and repentance, two, time, two sides of the same coin. The, the, the idea, the point is, coming to trust Jesus, to believe in who he, who he is as the one that's going to provide this life this life is unparalleled, eternal life. And remember, they want a political Messiah. They want a political answer to their... They want to make him king. Their, their idea of a kingdom. They're tired of this Roman persecution. They're tired of being outcasts. They want their Messiah to, to, to stand and be their political deliverer. He's on a different agenda. And whoever comes to believe in him, his agenda... Eternal, eternal life. It mentions that word work. It just has to be said as we go through this, that this section and, and beyond, that the work that God requires is no mixture of any meritorious work. Jesus is not laying out here some idea of meriting favor with God because of some work that we do. It could be a benevolent work could be eating a lot of bread. They could be eating bread every day. Not going to merit any, any favor. He's not laying that out. It just has to be pointed out repeatedly that our salvation depends upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. We come to faith in Christ alone. It is Christ alone. By faith alone. God's grace. God's grace alone. So he says to work, to, to, to labor, some translation. That's an interesting word as, as well. But to, to work, it is to, is to be intently focused. And it's to have an intense desire to work. 
to labor. Don't have the intense desire, the labor, for the food that, 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 that perishes, but, but for the food that endures, in the ESV, endures to eternal life. Have that intensity. Have that labor. Have that kind of focus. Fight for that. That kind of food. Fight for that kind of food. Don't fight for the kind of food that has no significant eternal benefit. So how are we supposed to work <laughs> as Jesus lays out here? They want to know what must we do to be doing the works of God? He answers, this is the work of God that you believe in Him who He has sent. This, this working really is a, 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 a point of tension sometimes in our own mind as Protestants. Because we're so intent on by grace alone. You hear me say it all the time, by grace alone. God's grace alone. I just said it. No meritorious works at all. We're, we're, we're so driven in that, in that way that sometimes that we forget and all of that is right. Salvation is purely by God's grace. But we're also called to draw near to God on a daily basis. Not just one time make a decision. Call, draw near to God on a daily basis. Now, the, the Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, had some interesting thoughts on, on this. You know, Ryle died in 1900, a long time ago. But interesting and powerful thought, none, nonetheless. He, he says, things that you're aware of. He says, that the question, answering the question, how do we work? How do this kind of working that Jesus is ta talking about? Work for the kind of food that endures to eternal life. How, how do we do that? And he says, the basics. R read our Bibles diligently. Pray fervently. Well, let, me just, let me just read to you what he says. We must labor in the use of all the appointed means. We must read our Bibles like men digging for a hidden treasure. We must earnestly wrestle in prayer like men contending with the deadly enemy for life. We must take our whole heart to the house of God and worship and hear like those who listen to the reading of a benefactor's will. Did you bring your whole heart today? That's the fight. We must fight for liberty and must conquer or be slaves. He's talking about liberty in Christ. These are the ways we must walk in if we would find Christ and be found in Him. This is laboring, working. This is the secret of getting on about our souls. I'm encouraged when I read something like that. Get in there and dig in your Bible study. In our prayer, dig and push and fight 
as he says, just like we're contending with the enemy. When we worship, when it's at home, or whether it's in the sanctuary, at the church, what is that? Is there any urgency? Is there any fight about you when you come to church? A lot of people want to fight because we couldn't go to church for a year. And then you come into a church, yeah, how's it going, man? Yeah, come show up 15 minutes late. How's it going? Yeah. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not what Riley's talking about. Some fight. Some earnestness. Who have you invited this week to come to this church? Some fight. You want the, you want the community to change? Bringing anybody with you? Oh, is there any word that you've given to anyone about your Lord this week? I have to ask myself the same questions. We as the people of God, what are you doing? Are you fighting? This is the intensity that Jesus is talking about. Labor. Labor for the food. That food. Labor for the food that endures to eternal life. Yeah, that'll change somebody's life. That'll change a community's life. That's what Jesus is doing here. But back in the day of Jesus, we'll find out, as I say earlier, not so many people were down with that. And so they kind of fell away. Fighting in our own spirits. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to be like that, people. Times we live in have to be like that. We have to fight for the food that we know is going to sustain us and encourage us and not be dependent upon meeting over there Dependent upon what we hear on a podcast. Now, in our own hearts, fight. So, leads us to this idea of intensity. The true work of God involves this personal conviction. This, this ongoing, this intensity. It's an intensity about who Jesus is. I am the bread of life. You, you, you can kind of imagine when you read something like that and it's so casual. Jesus is the bread of life. I don't imagine him, I just can't picture in my mind him being real casual about it. It's life I'm talking about. It's eternal life that I'm talking about. You want to come across the Sea of Galilee over here, Capernaum, and you want me to give you some loaves? That bread isn't going to last. If they want to know what they can, they can do it's common in all of us. What can we do to please God? And it's Jesus is the one that does the pleasing. We do nothing to please God. The rich young ruler in Matthew in Luke 18. Teacher, what must I do to eternal inherit eternal life? Acts chapter 2, the people were cut to the heart. Brothers, what shall we do? Asking Peter and the rest of the apostles. In Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are in jail, the jailer asking, Sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? We all, everyone, thinking we must do something. <laughs> Believing, coming to Jesus. It's not a work. It's not a meritorious work. Coming to Jesus with some conviction and some intensity in our own spirit. 
conviction, the ongoing pursuit of bread. Ongoing pursuit. Endures to eternal life. Now the significance of bread is interesting. Already laid out scripturally the picture of Moses and the manna from heaven. The Passover season was there. But just think of, of, of bread in ancient Israel. Well, even in a lot of cultures today, it seems every culture either has a uh, a, a strong presence of bread in their diet, some is rice. But in ancient Israel, we can carry forward some of these to our own culture, bread. The, the bread had necessary ingredients in it to sustain life. Necessary ingredients that were necessary for the for the body. Bread was suitable for all kinds of people. Kings, poor people, people with power, people with no power. Suitable for all kinds of people. And it's necessary daily. You can't eat bread today and then wait 60 days later and eat some more bread. It's necessary. It's part of, the, part of their daily provision. It's part of the daily practice. That's what you see in cultures today. Just, just, for some people, it's a French loaf, it's sourdough. For some cultures, it's a tortilla or some form of flat bread. As I say, in some cultures, it's rice. That's what they prefer. The idea is saying this, that the, the sustenance that's needed daily, and if it's not there, something is really missing. And it's a really satisfying food. Really satisfying. It makes us have that fullness. Sticks with us. Sticks to the bones. Kind of a thing. Bread does It's, it sticks with us in, in, in a lot different way than eating a bunch of candy bars. Tootsie Rolls. Some of you may be familiar with Tootsie Rolls. I told Lydia this week about a, a time back when I was in college, I thought I needed to lose a little weight. And so I, I decided that you know, my diet would consist of popcorn. The microwave popcorn. <laughs> and I did go for some days. And as they say, the weight goes off fast and it comes back fast. But I went some days and it wasn't very satisfying and actually it wasn't very nutritious. I didn't, I can remember not feeling very, I feel weak, but I was going to fight through the, weak, the weakness to shed a couple pounds and, and eat that popcorn. Bread's not that way. You, you can have bread. 
regular, satisfying. When that bread is made, prior to its being appropriate for consumption, there's a violent process that takes place. The soil needs to get churned up and prepared. The, the seed needs to be planted. When that, that seed is harvested, there's, there's the pressing and the, 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 the chaff is separated from the seed and there's that pressure that goes on there. And then when they refine it and that comes into flour, there's the pounding that goes on in whatever mechanical these days or by hand, there's a pounding of it into a flour so that it can be, be used and that there be a good, good mix. And then that, that flour, that, that grain is, is then put into some kind of a mix with, with, with liquid, water, perhaps some other, maybe yeast is put into some other kind of a mix and it's exposed to some intense heat. Why well, some of you know that in your own homes you have an oven of intense heat. Put bread in there. Intense heat. Jesus said, he's the bread of life. He has the necessary ingredients, all that we need, don't need to add to it, suitable for all kinds of people, rich, poor, that country, this country, wherever they might be. Necessary, he's necessary, not for a one-time meal, a daily meal. True enough, our conversion uh, in that element of salvation is a one-time deal. But then we live the life the life of sanctification and growth. And we need Jesus every day for that. Daily provision. And He satisfies. The bread of life satisfies. And as we'll see in the Apostle John, He's going to be exposed to some intense heat. It's beginning here in chapter 6. Intense heat, or we might call it a cross. He's purely adequate completely sufficient for our consumption towards eternal life. No other religious leader ever did that. <laughs> so here's the question. Who or what who are you working to be near today? Who are you laboring towards? Who are you fighting towards? Fighting towards Jesus. A lot of people fighting these days. Let's be about, be the people, the kind of people that are fighting in our own hearts, in our own spirit, fighting to be near nearer and nearer to God, nearer to Jesus. But we have to ask ourselves, you may need to ask yourself what defines your life this week. Who or what are you fighting to be near? That will tell us much about the work we need to do in our own homes. Let's pray.